If you're here for the first time, we're so thankful that you're uh, here with us today. Um, we, we try to do what we just sang. We, we want to look to Jesus in all that we do, which also includes our kids and our families. Uh, this past week, we got to have, we had Kids Week. Um, y'all, it was an awesome week. Uh, we got to celebrate and, and, and look to Jesus. We always had 75 kids come through our doors. Yeah, that was super exciting. 75 kids, which is really fun is that actually 54 of them were brand new to New City Church. So praise the Lord. It's just like, it's, it's awesome to see what God has done. One of the things that I also love about Kids Week is that it doesn't just, we don't just engage the kids, but we also engage the entire church. You know, we had 58 volunteers within our church come in and serve at Kids Week, which is just unreal. So let's, we praise the Lord for that. Um, just a couple things, you know, we did something called Penny Wars at Kids Week, um, and our kids raised $687 to send to the Dominican Republic through Penny Wars. And because of it, uh, AJ got pied in the face, which was awesome. And because they raised so much money, I also got pied in the face. So we had a lot of fun at Kids Week. Our kids had tons of fun. The kids got discipled. And at the end of the day, they looked to Jesus and they learned how to follow Jesus, which is what we've been doing as we look in the book of Ephesians. We've been going through the book of Ephesians over the past uh, five months. And so today we've been, uh, today we come to the book again. And it's a letter written by a guy named Paul to a church in a city called Ephesus. Uh, And conveniently enough, on the heels of Kids Week, the very next passage we get to in Ephesians, in this section of the letter, where uh, we get to the section where Paul addresses the families. He addresses the kids and the parents. And something that Paul knew as he was writing this letter was that it could have been read out loud to the entire church. It wasn't a private letter, it was a public letter. And our four verses that we have today in Ephesians chapter six, it's almost like Paul knew that the kids were in the room. And also more specifically, he also addresses the dads in the room. So look what it says in chapter six, verse one through four. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's our text for today. Pretty simple. Kids, obey your parents. And all the moms and dads can say amen to that. And then it says, dads, don't provoke your kids to anger. Teach your kids the discipline uh, and instruction of the Lord. It's a pretty simple idea, pretty straightforward, but I think we can agree that uh, these guiding principles are easier said than done. I think we all know that children obeying their parents sounds great in theory, but in practice and, and in reality, it might just be a little bit of a different story. And what we know to be true about the Bible is that it often teaches basic life principles that are easy to teach, but hard to live. And things like, I mean, we just see things like, just don't sin or be joyful always. And we've seen this over and over again over the past few, few weeks as we looked at how we speak and how we engage in relationships and how we, how we are to live. And this past week, we looked at marriage. And today we look at matters of the family, and it's no different. And as a dad of three kids, 10, 8, and 6, and with our fourth on the way, I can be the first to attest that this whole parenting thing is no joke. You know, our family, we have so much fun. It's never a dull moment in the Hovis house. I love it. And I also know kids don't come out of the womb pre-sanctified. Like they aren't born saying please and thank you. And they aren't born to consider other people before themselves. And they aren't born having their daily devotionals. 
And yes, I know kids, they look like little angels when they're all dressed up, bows in the hair, hair brushed, clothes nicely ironed, innocently smiling from ear to ear in those little Instagram photos. But all the moms and dads out there know that that picture took a lot of work. And that picture is not reality. And there is a good chance that tears were shed and tempers flared and their socks probably weren't matching in that picture. And as I say that, I think most parents can agree that we as parents know the tension between having a deep love for our kids, like a love that we've never known before, while also understanding the struggle that is parenting. Like we get this. Parenting and the matters of the family involve both some of the greatest blessings and also some of the greatest heartaches, which is just generally true of most things. Like the things that we love and value the most are also the things that can hurt and disappoint us the most. I mean, the harder things in life that require sacrifice are often the things that are also really, really good for us. And we see this with things like having a budget and studying and disciplined practice, and, and further education, and diet and exercise, and, and as we'll see today, matters of the family are the same. Seeing that parenting is just as much for the good of the parent as, as it is the good of the child. In fact, what we'll see today is that when we come to Jesus as he captures our heart, it changes how we parent. You know, we've seen this over and over again in the second half of Ephesians, seeing that Jesus in the gospel, it reshapes how we live. So the gospel doesn't just give us eternal life, but also gives us a new life today, which also include our family dynamics, leading us to see our main idea that the gospel renews the family. Again, throughout the entire book of Ephesians, you know, Paul's been showing us first who we are when we're in Christ, and then as a response to that, to who we are in Christ, we're then, we're we're reshaped how we live. And the order of this is important. And this is often so misunderstood because Christianity is often thought of as following a list of rules and regulations, a list of do's and don'ts mixed in, mixed in with a bunch of religious rituals. And because of that, it's often thought that when you do all of those things perfectly and follow all the rules and perform all the rituals, then God will bless you. And what we've seen over and over again throughout this entire letter of Ephesians is that that is far from what the Bible truly teaches. No, we don't come to God for him to be pleased with us. No, the only way God is pleased with us is through our faith in Jesus Christ. And that's it. And then as a response to God being pleased with us, who has given us a new identity through Jesus, telling us we're saints, we're holy, we're redeemed, we're washed by the blood of Jesus, we're totally clean from our sin, not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus did for us at the cross. You see, this is the gospel. This is our good news that changes everything. We don't have to work for God to love us. No, he displayed his love for us at the cross by by sending Jesus to the world, dying on the cross, and then Jesus rose from the dead. And when we affirm that, yes, God, I believe this is true. I believe Jesus was God, that he lived as a man, free from sin, died on the cross, and rose from the dead. When we believe the gospel and say, Jesus, you're now in charge of my life, and we're called children of God, we're brought into the family of God. We're no longer sinners but saints. We're no longer seen as separated from God, but close to God. We're no longer seen as forsaken, but rather chosen and set apart. We're we're forgiven and free. And what comes with this is God entering into our life, and then God begins to reshape us and renew us. And we then live out of our new identity and not for our identity. We say often here that the gospel, it affects not just our eternal life, but also our everyday life. God doesn't just save us as a get out of hell free card and then say, okay, now, now you go do your thing in this life and I'll just wait for you up in heaven. No, 
God saves us to also transform us in the right now and today. Eternal life in the future. And it's a, we see a changed life here on earth. Like they, they go together. They can't be separated. And so if God saves you, he also changes you, which also includes the matters of the family. And so when we read our text, when we read our text, it says, children, obey your parents, and parents, instruct your kids in the way of the Lord. We must see this as a response done out of the overflow of God living inside of us and not a set of religious rules, because again, there is a big difference. And just as we saw last week with marriage, what we see here today with matters of the family is what it looks like when the entire family is walking in the Spirit. Like this is the result of a Spirit-filled family. And what I want to be clear here, when we say spirit-filled, you know, that simply means God is living inside of us. The Holy Spirit has made our heart his home, which, which is what happens at the point of conversion and salvation when we give our life to Jesus. And then being spirit-filled is when we're in the day-to-day allowing God by the Spirit to rule and direct our entire lives. To say it another way, being spirit-filled means the Spirit of God has taken over our life and we're not in charge. No, the Spirit is in charge. We're following the Spirit and then it shows outwardly in our life. And so yes, like in the entire second half of the book called Ephesians is the result of being spirit-filled. And so our four verses today are simple. But yet when we pull back the layers, we're going to see so much more than a simple kids obey and dads don't provoke your kids to anger and discipline and teach your kids. We're going to see, as we walk back through our passage, we're going to see two principles for the family, which are our two points. Number one, obedience and honor flow from the heart. And then we'll also see number two, parenting shapes a child's view of God. And I'm going to show us this using our text. And maybe you're like, Pastor, how in the world did we get to that? And I get it. These two points are not on the immediate surface of our text, but I do have 30 minutes to kind of show you this, to take a deep dive into these four simple verses. But I also want to say, if you're here today and you don't have kids, we can still all learn from these two principles because yes, today is about kids and parents, but really when we get into this, I think we'll start to see this is really for all of us. And if you don't have kids, I also want to remind us that we're all still called to be the church and to make disciples, which includes being a part of the discipleship process of families. Because yes, we say often that parents are the primary disciple makers in the lives of their kids, but we also know the entire church, the entire community of people around them also play a massive role in their lives. I mean, we could take these principles and then easily translate them into the discussion on discipleship. And then just as a final note, before we jump back in, I, I want to make it really clear today that by no means am I a parenting expert, okay? Um, I'm trying to figure this out just like the rest of us. And so I don't come to you as a parenting expert, but rather a brother in Christ, just trying to show us what the Bible says, and then we can all wrestle with this together. So that said, let's look back at verses uh, 1 through 3 in chapter 6. Paul says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Okay, I told you we we're going to take this passage and go a little deeper than what's at the surface to get to our first point, but I do want to teach what's immediately at the surface of the, of the passage. And what we see in these first three verses, it's a command for children to obey their parents in the Lord. And Paul says, this is right. And then Paul quotes the fifth of the Ten Commandments, which is to honor your father and mo- mother. And what we see here are that the parents and kids, there are, they have different roles. Yes, they're both equal in value to God, but God has made it clear that parents are the authoritative figure in the lives of their kids. 
So God has placed parents over their children for a part of their life as a form of authority for the good of the child. And then in verse 3, Paul shows us that children obeying their parents and submitting to the authority of their parents is for the flourishing of the child. In fact, we see that there's a promise attached to the commandment of honoring your father and mother. And this is the only promise that's attached uh, to any of the Ten Commandments. And the promise is seen in verse 3. It says that it may go well with them and they may live long in the land. That's the promise. Now, we need to make sure that we get this because, no, it does not mean uh, that the, there's a promise to a kid that they won't struggle or die, like if they, if they obey their parents. I think we get that's not true. And what we need to get is what Paul is quoting from the Old Testament about a promise that was given to Israel for a specific time and a specific land for that promise, like, and it has since passed. But Paul here is essentially showing us that the principle is still true. Like obeying and honoring your parents, it is still good and right. And Paul's showing us there is still a more generic blessing that comes when kids obey their parents. Like kids are generally going to be more likely to flourish in life when they follow their parents' instructions in the Lord. When parents follow the Lord and teach their kids to follow Jesus, the Bible's principles, uh, in the Bible's principles, uh, flourishing is the promise. And so no, an easy life free from suffering and hardship is not the promise, but rather a life that follows Jesus is a joy-filled life that will live long in the land that is to come, in the land that we call heaven. That's the promise. And so the basic at-the-surface teaching that we get from verses 1 through 3 is that it's good and right for kids to obey their parents. But I do want to take this a step further and kind of pop open the hood and dive a little bit deeper. And so I want you to really put on your thinking caps and try to follow me here as we get into our first point. Because what we know to be true from the Bible are that each and every one of us were all made in the image of God. Genesis 1.27 tells us we were made in the image and likeness of God. And no, not perfect because of sin, but we are still image bearers. Which means moms and dads and really every person who calls Jesus Lord But for the moms and dads today, how we parent our children and how we teach our children, we're giving them a picture of God. We're displaying the image of God to our kids as we parent. And it's either a good one or a bad one. But when we're walking in the Spirit, we're displaying the heart of God to the world and to our kids. And so when we bring this down to parenting, when we're teaching our kids to obey their parents, we do that. when we do this, we're teaching our kids as a temporary stand-in for God how to walk in obedience to God and His Word. Maybe we could say kids obeying their parents are kind of like the training wheels for obeying God. And so when our kids can learn to obey their parents with parents that they can physically see and talk to, like face-to-face with on a daily basis, we're then helping them to also learn to obey God that they can't physically see and talk to -to face-to-face like they can with their parents. It's not in the same way. And listen, the goal is not for our kids to always obey us and do whatever we tell them to do for their entire life. No, our goal as parents is to be able to say, Don't do what I say. No, do what God says. Follow him. Don't follow me. And as our kids get older, the command moves from verse 1 to verse 2. It then moves from kids obey your parents to then now you honor your father and mother. So as kids move out of the house and can financially support themselves, and maybe when they get married or when they have kids, they move from the kids obey your parents stage of life to then the honor your father and mother stage of life. 
So I would guess that many of you are in this honor your father and mother stage and need to wrestle with what, what this looks like to honor your parents and what, what it would likely mean, something like just call your parents, <laughs> respect your parents, maybe even care for your parents in some way as they get older. And I also know many of you are in a transitional stage, maybe in college or closely out of college. And what I would say as, as, you, as a way to think through this, not as a hard and fast rule, but as a general wisdom, is that if you're still living in your parents' house and kind of on their payroll, <laughs> that would mean, yes, you still need to obey your parents. And yes, it would look different for you than maybe a five-year-old. Because yes, you're under their roof in, the, in, the, in their house and they're feeding you and you're still under their authority while always remembering you first obey God. But again, no matter where you are in the parenting phase or where you are in life, we still need to ask the question, if kids are called to obey and honor their parents, then we need to ask, well, then how do we obey? Like it's easy to say, obey and honor your parents. But again, this is way easier said than done. And what I want us to show us here in our first point is that number one, obedience and honor flow out of the heart. Because yes, our kids will be better off when they don't eat ice cream and then said to eat their vegetables. Yeah, I get that. But as parents, we have to understand that disobedience is more than just not following the rules for the sake of rules. But rather, disobedience with our kids, it's a picture of a rebellious heart. Maybe we could say disobedience is not a rule problem, but a heart problem. And, I, and we all get this. Disobedience is hard because our hearts, we're at a constant war with, a, with competing desires. And, and I think an illustration may help, you know, here. Me and my wife, when we talk about our childhood, y'all, we were two totally different kids. Completely opposite ends of the spectrum. Like, I was a rule breaker, she was a rule follower. I was a little sneaky rebel and she was an obedient people pleaser. Like just a fun little side story, like she, when she was like six, seven or eight, I don't know how old she was, six or eight, she grew up like trying to uh, follow the Lord and she, she tried so hard to not sin for an entire day. And she was so upset because she failed by 10 a.m. That's my wife. Me, I was the exact opposite of that. I, I just sinned. I didn't even try not to. I just hard-headed and didn't listen. But Kelly, she obeyed, but maybe a little bit more begrudgingly at times. And I asked for an example of this. And she told me about how her parents, they made her practice on the piano for about 30 minutes every day. She didn't want to. She really didn't like doing it. But guess what? She still did it. She obeyed. But I think it's so fair to say she was still a little uh, rebellious. Like her, little, like her, her obedient heart was still rebellious because what did she do as she obeyed? Well, she went over to that piano and she just started banging on those keys like just fusing with, seething with anger and frustration. And her dad walked by, and you know what she did? She, she saw her dad, she just stuck her tongue out at him. Like just, like as she's sitting there playing, like obediently playing the piano, sticking her tongue out at her dad. Again, obedience is not just about following rules. It's about learning to yield our hearts to authority, to God-given authority. And we all know this, like we can walk in obedience, but our hearts can be ice cold in the process. I mean, the Pharisees in Jesus' day, they were really good at following the rules, but yet Jesus still saw their rebellion and pride. I mean, Jesus saw them sticking their tongue out, so to speak, as they followed the rules. In New City, we're not trying to be a bunch of modern day little Pharisees. We're not trying to raise a bunch of modern day little Pharisees that are great at following the rules and working the system, but yet still have rebellious heart, because that's also not helpful. 
Again, Jesus showed us that with the Pharisees, it didn't lead to their flourishing. No, it led to hard and cold hearts, which shows us that, yes, we teach our kids to obey, but we teach them to obey with soft hearts. We don't just look at their obedience. No, we look at their heart posture. We seek to disciple their hearts and not just their actions. Now, this is not just for our kids. This is for all of us. We seek to obey God. Jesus wants our hearts. Jesus didn't go to the cross so that we could be really good rule followers. No, Jesus died to free us from the power of sin and to purify us so that we could be in a relationship with him. Jesus died to capture and rescue our hearts. But God has no interest in twisting our arm to love him and honor him and to obey him. No, God wants us to honor him and obey him because our hearts are captivated and they're captured by the love of God. And so yes, we teach our kids to obey. And yes, well-mannered, well-behaved kids, that's great. But if we ignore their heart in the process, we're missing it. And I get it, when they're like two and three, they don't exactly have the mental capacity to talk to them at a heart level. It's like, just don't touch the stove. But as kids get older, as parents, yes, we enforce rules for their good, but even more so, we must engage their hearts and show them how it is for their good. And why do we do this? Because as we do this, we're showing our our kids a picture of the heart of God. And so that's the charge for the kids. Kids, obey and honor your parents. But I also want to point out that in verse 1, it says, in the Lord, which means Paul is saying, kids, obey your father and mother as they seek to follow Jesus. Which means moms and dads, as we call our kids to obey us, likewise, our call is to obey God. Because remember, we're teaching our kids to obey us as parents for the purpose of them learning to obey God. And if we're not obeying the Lord and modeling for them what that looks like to follow Jesus, why would they care to obey us? And so moms and dads, one of the single greatest gifts we can give our kids is our devotion to Jesus. And so let's just ask, why would our kids want to walk with Jesus in a real and personal way if we as their parents aren't modeling real and genuine faith ourselves? And no, our faith doesn't guarantee their faith. But we better believe it sure does help. You know, there's, there's all sorts of statistics and studies that have been done on lasting faith in the life of a child. Asking the question, like, what keeps kids in the faith as they kind of go into adulthood? And by far, at the very top of the list, having at least one believing parent that is genuine in their faith and truly lives out their faith at home, it is leaps and bounds above the rest. So parents know your faith cannot save your kids, but we better believe it certainly can help. And then one last thing with this phrase, what Paul says, obey your parents in the Lord, we need to note that it does not say obey your parents into sin, which means if you have parents that are not following the Lord, or maybe they are following the Lord, but if their guidance goes against God's guidance, you do not follow their lead. No, we always first follow the Lord. We don't follow our parents into sin. No, children, obey your parents in the Lord and also honor your father and mother in the Lord. But let's look at verse four. We're gonna spend the second half of our time. Paul says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So our first three verses, it addresses the children, and this one is addressing the parents, but more specifically, the dad. And what's interesting here is that the word here for fathers is also the same word that's used in the book of Hebrews for both parents. But here, Paul is clearly addressing the fathers, but there's no reason this doesn't also apply for both mom and dad. And something I, wanna, I want us to see more so in the last half of our time is that, again, as we're parenting our children, we're displaying a picture of the heart of God to our kids. And so I'm going to show us two charges that Paul gives specifically to the dads and to, and to us as parents 
But then more specifically, I want us to show us number two, parenting shapes a child's view of God. But first in verse four, at the surface, you know, again, we see these two charges to the fathers. We'll see, uh, we'll, then, we'll then continue to draw out and they're gonna help us drive home this second point. But the first charge Paul says is, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And something that commentators point out about this, that, that part of the verse, as to why the fathers are more directly addressed here is because during this time in the ancient world, fathers had way more control and they were known to be pretty harsh with their kids, as in like very harsh. Like they were allowed to sell their kids or even kill their kids without being charged a crime. Terrible. And many, many fathers during this time would also abandon their kids in the city. And Paul saw this trend with the dads and he addressed it head on, showing that when you follow Christ, dads, there is a different standard. And moms, you too. But Paul doesn't just say, don't abandon them, but he takes it a step further and he says, don't provoke your children to anger, meaning be fair, be consistent, be tenderhearted and loving. So I want to be clear here. This doesn't mean we have to make our kids happy all the time and give them whatever they want. No, because Paul also says as the second charge in the second half of this verse is to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so no, we don't just give our kids whatever they want, but rather we're to discipline and teach our kids towards God and his ways but we do it without provoking them to anger. And yes, they may get angry, but Paul is leading us to ask, did we stir them to anger and did we provoke it in them? Because there's a difference between harsh and tyrannical discipline and patient and loving discipline. Harsh discipline lacks self-control. It's disciplining out of anger. It looks like lashing out in frustration. Where patient and loving discipline models self-control and it's done out of love. And it seeks to take the emotion out of the discipline, the anger, of the, uh, anger out of our discipline. So here are a few just practical examples. For example, when a, when a child maybe yells at their parents and the parent yells back out of frustration and says something like, what's wrong with you? And continues down a list of all the things they've done. That's provoking towards anger. When, maybe when we discipline unfairly and inconsistently and when the parameters are constantly changing, that's possibly provoking towards anger. Or how about this, when we just forget that they're still kids and that mistakes happen and they're going to spill their milk from time to time and then we criticize or tear down, that's provoking towards anger. And I love how Paul gives these two charges and kind of connected to each other in tandem with each other because he says, don't do this, don't provoke to anger, but rather do this, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Which again means, yes, we discipline our children, but we do it as an extension of God to our kids. Because again, as parents, our job, although imperfect, is to be a representative picture of God to our kids. And we're hopefully displaying God's character. And so using these concepts from verse 4, I want to point out four quick things. They're going to be fast about the character of God that we as parents are called to display. And the first, uh, what we know about God is that God does not provoke his people to anger. No, one of the most repeated phrases in the Bible that comes out of Exodus 34 is that God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. New City, this is such good news that God's heart towards us is merciful and gracious. God does not sit up in heaven as a puppet master sitting around thinking, how can I really mess up my people? Or how can I make them angry? No, the heart of God is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. 
Does God get angry? Yes, absolutely. We've already seen that in Ephesians. He gets angry, but he, he gets angry at sin, sin. God gets angry at evil and destruction, but he does not provoke us to be angry. In fact, God poured out his anger on his son Jesus at the cross as to not provoke us to anger. Instead, God displayed his anger on us. He Instead of God displaying it on us, he displayed it on Jesus so that we could experience the mercy and kindness of God. This is the heart of God towards us. He regularly shows us grace and mercy day after day after day. God sees our sin. He sees how we mess up. He sees our mistakes and disobedience, and yet he doesn't provoke us to anger, but rather he's gracious with us and says, I see your mistake. I see your disobedience. Just let me help you get back up on your feet. And let me show you how and instruct you the way in which you should walk. And you know what happens? The next day we do it again. We mess up again. And what does God do? He does the exact same thing again. God's patient and loving again. And says, get up again. Let's keep going. You're my beloved child. You've made a mistake, but I still love you. Follow me. Church, this is what our Heavenly Father does for us every single day. We wake up every day, shower with grace upon grace. We sin, we walk in obedience, and yet God still showers us with mercy and kindness because of Jesus. And parents, this is our standard for parenting. God does not provoke his people to anger, and so we don't provoke our kids to anger. No, we model grace and patience and forgiveness. We're quick to forgive when we wrong them, because yes, we will wrong them. In New City, God has forgiven us. God has been patient with us, and which, like, so which means we're called to display that same love to our kids and those around us. And not just that, but next we see that God shepherds his people. And in that word, says to bring them up, like it says in verse four, it says to bring them up when he says to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So that phrase to bring them up could also be translated to nourish or to provide a sense of uh, feeding or to provide or uh, feeding. There's a sense of bringing up kids in a nourishing and loving, caring way, somewhat like a shepherd cares for a sheep. And what does a shepherd do for a sheep? Well, they feed them, they watch over them, they care for them, they protect them. And so this is helping to contrast that no, God does not stir his people to anger, but rather he cares and lovingly nourishes and protects his people. So this too is the heart of God. Our God does not reject us. Our God is not cold towards us. He's not brash or put off by us. No, God through Jesus Christ looks at us and says, you're my child. You're holy. You're blameless. You've been redeemed. Child, you're a saint. God cares for his people. He speaks kindly to them. He doesn't anger them, but rather he brings them up. He builds them up. He sets them up in love and care. And parents, this is what God calls us to model for our kids. So when we're patient and warm and affectionate, we're modeling the heart of God. But what we can't forget is that warm, patient, affectionate care is not at odds with discipline. No, God loves his people, but he also, as Proverbs 3.12 says, he disciplines those he loves, showing us letter C. God lovingly displays his, disciplines his people. Again, it's not, it's not brash, unfair discipline, but it is discipline. He doesn't just love us and care for us, but he also disciplines us. Paul said about parents for fathers specifically to bring up children in the discipline of the Lord. Again, we have to remember that discipline is a good thing. It's from God. It's part of God and his character. So yes, even God disciplines his own people. And I want you to stay locked in here with me for a minute. 
because we're going to step into the deep end for just a minute because we need to grasp how, discipl- how God disciplines us as we think about how we as parents are to discipline our children. Hebrews 12, 6-8 says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for the discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So just like we see in Ephesians, we see here that discipline in the life of the child, it's for their good. We know this with our kids through obvious example, like a small child gets disciplined for, not running, out, for running out into the street. And why? Because their parents love them. They don't want them to be harmed. And so discipline is used as a warning. It's a used as a form of correction. But again, yes, the heart of God provides discipline to us as people. Like it's in God's kindness that he removes things from our lives. It's in God's kindness that we endure hardship and natural consequences as a form of correction in our life. Natural consequences in our life for our actions are sometimes how God disciplines us. And I know when we start to think about uh, how God disciplines his people, we're, we're, ste- we're stepping out into murky water, and this is often hard to decipher because, no, not all hardship and suffering is discipline. Oftentimes, hardship and suffering come like sickness and sorrow and loss just because the world is broken or because there's some sort of spiritual war or like, where there's evil in our world, and it's not discipline. No, it's just that the world is broken. And I know this can be confusing and hard to decipher in certain instances in our life, maybe thinking like, is God disciplining me right now? Or is this like spiritual war? Is this just because the world is broken? And to be honest, that's really hard to answer. But to help us with this, the best way to think through God's discipline in our life is to think, are we wrapped up in any sort of sin? Because if sin is involved, then maybe it's discipline. But regardless of whether it's God's discipline or not, what we know about God's discipline is that it's a form of love and correction. Because at the end of the day, God knows that we need to turn back to him. Like it could be God's grace and kindness or it could be some kind of consequence from our sin. But here's the thing, God's discipline is not meant to push us away from God, but rather to turn us away from our sin and to turn us towards God. We need to be very clear here. Because it's not punishment for our sin. Jesus took the punishment for our sin at the cross. But rather, it's discipline and loving correction for our sin that draws us back to Jesus. That's what God's discipline does. It corrects us away from sin, and then God as a loving Father draws us back to Him. Again, God's discipline is for our good. It protects us, and it keeps us on the right track. It guards us. And I know this may seem a little fuzzy still. And so if I had to try to paint a picture of what God's discipline looks like just in our everyday life, maybe we could say it just looks like conviction of our sin. Maybe it leads us to confess and find healing. It leads us to repentance and reconciliation. It leads us to a greater flourishing and not into shameful condemnation. God's discipline does not lead us into fear and despair. No, God's discipline leads us into newness in life. And church, this is what our loving God does for us. He brings the Holy Spirit into our life and he begins to change us and shape us and to remake us to then lead us into further flourishing. And it leads us into deeper into God's love and not away from it. And so parents, this is what we're called to do with our kids. 
We're called to show the discipline of the Lord that can sometimes be hard and difficult, but yet it leads our kids to a life of greater flourishing. Again, the Lord's discipline is not heaping condemnation that shames and degrades. It's not done out of anger or frustration. No, the Lord's discipline that we show our kids, it corrects even when it's hard, but the purpose is to then strengthen and to build up. And you know, there are all sorts of ways we can show the Lord's discipline to our kids, but regardless of the form, the principles are still true. The Lord's discipline leads us to repentance and reconciliation, like reconciliation and restoration and being drawn back into the loving communion with your parents as in parent-child relationship. That's the end goal. So again, God does not provoke his people to anger. No, God shepherds his people. God lovingly disciplines his people. And the fourth piece of God's character that parents are privileged to show their kids is that God instructs his people. So God doesn't just discipline and then leave his people to figure it out. No, he lovingly disciplines and then he also teaches and instructs. Paul said to bring them up. Paul said to lovingly direct them into discipline and instruction of the Lord. Or to say it another way, like let's just teach our kids to follow Jesus. In short, we disciple our our kids. And when it comes to our kids in discipleship, yes, we as a church, we do things like Kids Week, and they have classes on Sundays where we teach our kids the Bible, where the church can come in and help with the discipleship of our kids. Yes, discipleship in the church is truly a community-wide effort, which includes our kids. But, and, we say, and as we say that, we, but we also strongly believe, because the Bible teaches us this, that the primary place for our kids to be discipled is in the home. Parents are the primary disciple makers in the lives of their kids. Like, yes, we as the community called the church, we help, we assist, we train, we come alongside, but the most impactful discipleship in the lives of a family will happen from mom and dad. Or, or if you're a single parent, or if you've been entrusted to be the primary caregiver, the same is true for you. But the point is, every kid is being discipled in some way. There's more time, and there is more time with kids in the home than through any kids program that we have. So we have to equip equip our people to disciple their kids in the home. And again, I want to point out here, more specifically, Paul addresses the dads. He says, fathers, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And yes, moms, caregivers, you too. But here Paul is singling out the dads to teach their kids to walk in the ways of the Lord. And maybe you're thinking, well, that seems like a big step. How do, I, how do I do this? Well, really simply just read them the Bible. And, and maybe just ask, find a children's Bible, read them the Bible, and just say, hey, what did you notice about that? What did you see about Jesus here? What did you learn about God? How, how, what, what do we learn about people? How can, we, how, how can we take this and apply this to our life? Just ask really simple questions. It doesn't have to be a sermon. I've had to learn that. And one of the best ways for a parent to learn the Bible is just to read it to your kids. And if you're interested and want to teach the kids the Bible, and you're really struggling with this, just talk to me. I would love, talk to one of your group leaders. Y'all, I would love to sit down with a mom or a dad or both and just teach you how to teach your kids. I'm sure your group leaders would love to do the same. They would be overjoyed to do this. And you know, there's a lot of reasons as to why, but the reason I point this out today is that when we teach our kids about God and his ways, and we teach them how to follow Jesus, we do this because this is what Jesus did for us. 
Like when Jesus walked this earth, he simply said to his followers, he said to them, follow me. And what did Jesus do when they followed him? Well, he, he taught them. He modeled for them what it looks like to live a, a God-honoring life. He taught them the scriptures and how they pointed to Jesus. New City, the heart of God displayed through Jesus was that of a teacher, was that of an instructor. Our God is a teaching and a communicating God that loves to teach us about himself and how to follow him. And so we then, as parents, were given the privilege to be a picture of God's heart to our kids. Like as we, we, we teach them the word, we disciple them, we instruct them, and we model for them a life that loves and follows Jesus, a life that looks like someone that truly believes that Jesus rose from the dead. You see, being a parent, it is an extremely high calling. It's an incredible privilege to display the heart of God to our kids, but it also comes with a burden of responsibility to parents, to us parents, that unfortunately we aren't God. Yes, we can portray the heart of God through being slow to anger and loving and discipling them and instructing them in the Lord. But at the end of the day, we're not God. We are imperfect people. And so we must continually remind our kids that we're not God and that we will fall short and we have to ask for their forgiveness and we need to apologize and to model for them that we too need Jesus. Y'all, parenting is a high calling that requires a lot of strength and endurance. And you know what I know? We cannot do this in our own strength. We can't be God-honoring, spirit-filled parents if we're not regularly coming to the Lord and just delighting in Jesus. You know, just like every other week over the past few weeks, the call today is not first be a great parent. The call today is not to be an awesome mom or dad. And the, call, the, the call is not to be the best disciple maker you could be of your kids. No, the call for everyone, parent or not, is to come to Jesus, delight in him, and simply follow his ways. Because, y'all, we can't make disciples of our kids if we're not first his disciple. This is the call of parenting. We display the heart of God to our kids, but in order to fully display the heart, we need to be deeply connected to God's heart. Because I think we all know that being slow to anger and patient and merciful and long-suffering on an empty parenting take that has about lost it, I can attest it's not easy. So what does God call us to do? He simply says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. He says to every parent, come and worship Jesus. Come and delight in my presence. Come and experience the smile of God that looks at you and says, you're my beloved child. God says, I've chosen you. I've called you. I've equipped you. You're holy. You're a saint. And then out of that, he calls us to take the overflow of that and then give it to our kids. The grace that we find from Jesus, we then give it to our kids. The discipline and instruction we find from Jesus, we show that to our kids. The kindness and love that we find from Jesus, we simply just give that back to our kids. So because of this, I hope and pray that today that we would simply delight in Jesus and then just show our kids that same delight. And in doing so, over time, I, y'all, I so believe that God is going to reshape and renew how we parent. How the, his, God's going to reshape the matters of the family. Let's pray. God, obedience is really hard. God, parenting can be challenging at times. But God, you are so gracious to us that you you do not leave us alone in this. 
God, we, we can obey because you're gracious to us. We can show the heart of God because you're with us and you're in us and we can come to you. So God, we just hope and pray. God, I pray that today we would just delight in the goodness of God. God, I pray that we would delight in just coming to your presence and being filled by, by the Spirit of God so that we can then, out of the overflow of your love, that we could show it to our families and our kids and all those around us. God, we ask for your help. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.